0: Welcome. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. It's uh, the first part of September. I guess, happy marketing year, Brent. It's the beginning of the 2021-22 grain marketing year, corn and soybeans. September 1st is when that starts.
1: Yeah, brand new year. I guess it doesn't seem like uh, that time of year to me, but it is. I think one of the things I heard that this morning on the radio and thought, I wonder what the marketing year average price will be for... 2021 crop the one that we're just going into. yeah the one no i wonder what the other one actually turned out to be because i don't even remember what what the data are you know the prices finished really high for it and but they started really low but kind of started kind of low and then just took off so probably gonna be one of the higher marking your average prices i i mean i guess we could calculate that i just haven't looked it up going to be interesting to see what happens for the 21 crop as well and when you think about it the uh, crop insurance deadline prices get set again it's still a little bit of a ways off for us on corn soybeans are getting a little closer but still a fair amount of time before that pricing window pricing discovery period starts corn prices have been pretty soft here lately uh, I think a lot of us kind of thought, you know, we'd see a much higher harvest price option crop insurance. And now, you know, prices kind of leaking down. So we'll just have to watch it closely and see.
0: I pulled up the case. state has a huge database of, or well, they do a, a regular monthly mm. sort of projection of market year average prices. Of course, market year average prices in most years is really relevant to the ARC and PLC payments. Not so much now, Last September, that monthly average price was about $3.40 and a bushel. Uh, PLC strike price, of course, is three seventy. So we were looking at $0.30 cent PLC payments, potential in, in the mix. And then it got higher, right? October increased a little bit. It got above, the monthly average price got above $4 in January. And then it just sort of kept steamrolling up. So right now, they estimated $4.66 cents per bushel for corn for that market year average price.
1: And that's partly because, you know, a couple of the months where a lot of the crop gets sold, October, November, January being the three largest, were all some of the lower prices in that marketing year. I just find it interesting. I think if you ask most people what the price was last year in September, 340 is what roughly a little less than $2 from where we're at now. Completely different world. Just short of $400 an acre revenue difference almost a trend yield. Not quite, but close, 350 or something. That is a lot of difference. And judging from some of the recent land sales I've seen, I think people are not thinking we're going back to 340 anytime soon. I don't know. I mean, we have short memories on this kind of stuff, and we always, you know, you get in this mental framework that you know five dollars is the price now, and wasn't that long ago it was a lot lower.
0: I think another thing that jumps out at me is this gives us an idea of when farms sell their crop, not necessarily when they price their crop. There's a difference between pricing and actually selling. So the transfer of the sell October. November and January, they each roughly rounding a little bit here are 12% of that total activity. So those three months collectively are more than a third of all the activity. So that's really important to keep in mind is a lot of activity happens in there. And so Producers had probably priced in a lot of their corn in the fall, and they were excited to get even a higher price, got to December and January, and they had some opportunities to lock in even stronger prices. So just a very fascinating thing to step back and to really think about.
1: Yeah, it's kind of funny that you brought up this deal. I used to look at that a lot. Those reports from Kansas State were worried about PLC, you know, ARC and PLC payments, and uh, I haven't looked at it for a while. It's a good site though. They do good work there.
0: So I guess for listeners, right, you can take 466 uh, for the 2021, 20, excuse me, the 2020, 2021 market year average price for corn that we're closing out. And you can decide for yourself, would you take the over or under on that for the new marketing year, right? Will we have higher prices a year from today, or we have lower prices a year from today? We're going to start off really strong. Some producers are going to be able to lock in high $4, low $5 cash prices. And so we're going to see these numbers have a lot of built-in pricing already going that way. So it'll be interesting to see how this one plays out
1: market's been a little soft here lately and i was looking at the other day just the crop insurance guarantee i think for corn was something like uh four was 484 so somewhere in that range was the initial guarantee and thought we'll be way above that well maybe maybe not hope we are
0: things changed very very quickly here's something else that changed I wrote an article this week about the CRP program, and that program it turned 35 years old this year. Actually, the first acres went in in 1986. It's actually been around for a long time. So, if you think about how long, you know, ARC and PLC have been around just kind of eight years, nine years. This is a longer cornerstone of, of farm policy, and it's kind of got a new lease on life in the last few years. A year ago, there was some talk of should we expand. CRP acreage, or should we expand the that ship program? You know, there's talk about expanding, putting more acres in the conservation. So we stepped back and said, "What's going on with the CRP program? Acres had traditionally been between 30 and 35 million. The highest it ever got was 37 million in about 2007. It's been on a downward trend. It's going to get really close to 20 million here in 2021. The last farm bill was an attempt to reallocate the way the money is spent going more towards rents and less towards the cost share. Can we you know, get some more acres into the program? They raised the cap, but there's two ways this program works. It's with the cap, the Congress saying this is the most number of acres you can have, and then Congress, of course, funding it. And what's been going on here is program expenses have been pretty flatlined over the last several years, but the cost per acre on a, of the rental rates has really gone up over the last 10 years, 15 years, 2008, it was about 50 bucks an acre, and now it's well into 80 bucks an acre. So the program has had about the same number of dollars, but each acre they've renewed has cost more money. And so you're seeing this decline in the program. So a lot of interest around CRP lately. Thinking about the next farm bill, we have to wait and see where the proverbial rubber meets the road and how much funding Congress ultimately allocates to this program in the future.
1: It's uh, the same amount of dollars don't buy the same amount of acres. And I think. Actually, when, when I first saw this chart, I was a little surprised, uh, David, because I didn't realize that we had lost 15 million acres out of CRP. I mean, that I knew the number was fairly big, but I still had in my head it was like 28 million or something. It's more than I had thought. The decline is bigger than I had thought. And so when you think about, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about corn, soybean and principal crop acres and all that stuff. Well, here's a source of a lot of them, just a lot of decline in CRP acres since what, 2008. So that, that's a pretty su- substantial decline. And in the only, it's not going to go up unless they put more money into it, more money into it there probably means less money somewhere else. And that there, you know, therein lies the problem always.
0: Another thing that captured my attention is and we talk about expenses and how expensive various programs are. And so this is about a $1.5 to $2 billion a year program. So in the grand scheme of things, you think about it, we spent $47 billion in direct payments last year. <laughs> this was a proverbial drop in the bucket. Conservation, broadly speaking, is about $4 billion of the farm bill spending. and This is you know not quite half of all the conservation spending. But also to echo your point, Brent, I've been going around saying, oh, we've gotten 12 million additional acres into production coming out of CRP. And that's based on data we had wrote about several years ago. And now it's 16 million acres, almost 17 million acres. And so there's been a, a, a big supply increase that's come from this. It's going to be interesting to see how this program Moves forward. You know, there's a lot of press and attention just in the last month about, you know, the renewals that the USDA was hoping to actually nudge this number higher, and they were trying to get more acres into the program just this year. So the attention on this program is higher than what it's actual. The attention is trending higher. The actual acres in the program is trending lower. So there's a little bit of a difference there. I think it's worth keeping an eye on.
1: It absolutely is. And you show a little bit later, you've got some numbers on how much is expiring coming up. And that also caught my eye. Some pretty big expirations in 2020 for five million acres. Another four million, three in twenty-one and four million coming out in twenty twenty-two. So those are some more big numbers. And obviously I think USDA would like to see those acres, you know, stay in. The program or at least replace them. These higher real rates, the real rates are going to keep going up. If they want to get any land in it, the rates are going to have to keep going up because cash rents are going up. It's going to be a struggle with, with that kind of a budget.
0: The retirement of CRP acreage or the expiration of those contracts is not linear. The program was trying to in 1986 was of course trying to get as many acres into the program as quickly as possible. And really 1987 was a big year when they started adding a lot of acres. And so if you think about it, these are typically a 10 year contract and you added a majority of those acres in the first five years of the program, you get this sort of boom and bust is the right way of, of framing that, but it's this big sort of slug of acres that came into the program and then they sort of, you know, pause. And so that still is probably what's driving a, a huge part of this non-linear or non-uniform distribution of contract expiration. So yeah, the program has another big year ahead of it in 2022 with 4 million acres retiring. And then you know we'll see how that plays out throughout the rest of the decade. After uh, 2022, it, it just tapers off. There's a few years that have less than a million acres or less than a half a million acres retiring on that given year. So it, the program has a lot of uh, movements in it. And so to Brent's point, they're going to have to have a fixed amount of money next year to spend and they're going to have to rent even more expensive acres. So that's going to be a challenge for the program. So Brent, let's talk about the upcoming USDA report. We have a few new questions that we're going to add. Don't have them uploaded as we're speaking, but they're going to be uploaded by the time folks are listening to it. Last USDA report in August had corn yields at 174.6. We're going to add a question asking about 177. So will corn yields... In the September wazi be at or greater than 177 bushels. For corn, it's USDA's at 50, and we're going to draw the line at 49.5. So soybeans yields at or above 49.5 bushels per acre. Any thoughts, Brent?
1: You know, you might ask why we put it where we did. One, it's the same as the number we had before. So you can kind of think about, and we can kind of look and see how, you know, the expectations of that number trended over a longer period of time i don't know it's uh, it's going to be interesting jeff's numbers don't suggest big increases are in the future on the yields but you know your data that you keep showing us about you know the error in the august report would suggest that you know that's not out of the realm of you know likely numbers so i i will be interested to see what the consensus is On that forecast, Uh, we've had a lot of rain throughout the country, I think. I mean, not everybody has gotten rain, but you just kind of look and it seems like a lot of that moisture problem solved. But you kind of wonder whether that does anything for corn at this point. Soybeans, maybe so, but we'll see.
0: Yeah, I think that being able to compare what you were thinking last time, with what you're thinking today. Of course, I had the I shared I had the worst score on the corn. I thought corn yields were going to be a little bit stronger. So, I'm going to lower my forecast. I'm just going to be uh, pretty bold out there and say that up front. But, you know, keep in mind maximum uncertainty is a 50% probability, right? So, if you think there's an equal chance of it being above 177 for corn or below 177, you would go in at 50% I guess we're going to ask two other questions. We'll just, I'll mention them here. We won't get into the details, but there's been a lot of chatter on social media about what's going to happen with acreage. And so the USDA said in the past, I guess they're going to depart with some of their past conventions and there could be a chance for them to adjust the acreage numbers, planted acreage, based on you know new data they have available primarily from the FSA office, so they can start dialing in that, that towards the final acreage numbers. So that could add another wrinkle to how the balance sheets adjust here in the September WASD.
1: There's just a little bit more uncertainty, I guess, hard to know how those numbers will change. I I don't have any grand insight into whether those will be higher or lower, I guess, at this point.
0: Brent, to wrap this up, I'll let you think of any other final comments. I'll share that I was, before we got on this call, I was reading and I saw there's going to be a dinosaur for sale. I think it'll bring 1.2 to 1.4 million US dollars. So the, the premise here is, there's this Triceratops. It was a big Triceratops, kind of famous, found in South Dakota, and it's going up for the auction block. And I was thinking about Brent's golden goose story. Like, How would you value this particular asset? On the one hand, it's probably hard to generate a lot of revenue from it, especially if you're like Brent and I printing your yard and hope kids come pay you <laughs> a couple bucks to look at it. It also is probably really expensive to maintain. I don't know what it takes to maintain a very old set of dinosaur bones but i'm guessing the maintenance on those is going to be uh, pretty high but i was kind of surprised it was only 1 million bucks i, I kind of i don't know what people would spend on stuff it's out of my price range but thinking about how you would value something think about how you might value a set of dinosaur bones
1: certainly it scores well on the rarity factor or <laughs> the supply side it's got covered but hard to value <laughs>
0: it's priceless on one hand but on the other hand it creates a very little cash flow yeah. uh maybe you're a museum right maybe you yeah. can get some museum oh. revenue but
1: and not costless either
0: <laughs> so if you think farmland's expensive we'll keep you posted on the dinosaur market as prices for that eventually become public so we'll see how that plays out any final thoughts brent
1: no i uh, wish everybody have a good week
0: All right. Thanks so much. Uh, We'll catch you all here in a little bit. In the meantime, stay curious.